0: Well, let me start off with praying. I pray we're going to jump right in. Lord, I am so excited to be uh, opening up your word and to be uh, do just a little bit of teaching tonight. God, I I pray that you'd use this crazy medium that we have of technology and live streaming it to just connect us to your word, connect us to each other and to you. Um, Thank you for what you are doing in our church. Gosh, Lord, the enthusiasm is just so high. I cannot believe what you're doing. And um, Lord, we want to... Just continue to experience more of you, deeper relationships with each other, and to see this be something that blesses uh, families in this community. So, Lord, meet us tonight, and would Your b- Word be alive to us? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, uh, this week I got a phone call to do a uh, background check for someone who's out looking for work. Uh, somebody who's worked for me in the past, and they are fantastic. And this is something as a supervisor of people, uh, you just do. You do this pretty often, and get to speak to somebody on their behalf, but there's always a sense of when you're doing it that you kind of have a little bit of their life in your hands. I mean, by the time they're doing a reference check, they have submitted a resume, they've had a conversation, maybe they've done a questionnaire, they might be even at the final step. And so when they come to you, they are coming really with some questions of what do we not know? What do we not see about this person? This is who we are. Would they fit? Will they work? Are they the sort of person that we think they are. And and in those moments, you of course want to be honest. But most of the time, if you're doing a reference, it's because you're a fan of them that you want to cheer them on. You want to see them be successful. And so you want to help present them in the best light. You want to help them cross the finish line. You want to see them be successful. So you have this sense of pressure of wanting to deliver for them and to see them actually get the job. You just feel this huge responsibility and this huge privilege in that moment to speak on their behalf. It's a moment that you will probably do for someone at some point to be a reference for them, or it is something that you're gonna ask somebody else to do for you, asking somebody else to be a reference for you. And that might be whether if you are just joining a club in a high school, or whether you're joining kind of a nonprofit, or whether you're gonna run for any kind of leadership position, It's going to happen if you're going to be looking for a new job. It might even happen if you're going to date somebody one day and you're saying, is this the person that I want to date? We're all going to stand in the middle between two people, between two groups at some time and be asked to advocate for them. And in those moments, I think that we are actually coming kind of near to the heart of Jesus because this is the very thing that Jesus does. In fact, what Jesus does today, right now, risen Jesus in heaven, there, by the right hand of the father, he is constantly interceding. He is constantly standing between the father and us and ministering and speaking on our behalf. It's just simply what he does. And so when you and I get invited to do this, and that is true when we're speaking to people in relationships or speaking to a husband on behalf of the wife or the wife on the behalf of the husband, regardless of what we're doing, we are then in that moment interceding and standing in the gap. It's an incredibly Christian thing to do. You know, we, um, have been asked by Jesus to do this between him and his church. Uh, That he wants us to intercede between himself and the people that he has already died for and loves and who he's offered the salvation of faith and new life in him that is available to them right now if they'll come to him by faith and yet they simply don't know or they don't care or they're not interested. He asks for us to be that intercessor, for us to be that bridge. He asks us to be ambassadors for him. That's the exact word that it uses here in the text. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to pick this up in verse 16. And I got to tell you, this is a this is a challenging one for me tonight because uh, I so badly want to preach 2 Corinthians 4 and I really want to do 2 Corinthians 6, but I got to tighten it up tonight to just focus on 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16. It says this. So from now on, We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, and the old has gone, the new is here. And all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. There's that word. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Man, praise God for his word. There are there's seven sermons in there that could be preached, and honestly, I'm feeling like I should preach tonight, but I just want to focus really tightly in on that word ambassadors, that we are Christ's ambassadors, verse 20, and God makes his appeal through us. If you really want to understand kind of what Paul is doing here in this passage, if you want to understand why he's using this ambassador language, you have to kind of be reminded again about what an ambassador is. An ambassador is something that he is taking from the political world and he's bringing it into the spiritual world. There are ambassadors then and today whose sole job is to represent their country to another country. This happens today, even in America, that we have ambassadors to many different countries around the world. In fact, the United States has 189 ambassadors around the world. And it is their job to live in foreign countries and to speak there on the behalf of the United States, to represent the interests of the United States, and to there be a bridge and a medium for these other nations to speak back to the United States. It's their job. To create diplomacy to help there be meaningful interaction between two nations, it is a significant relationship that exists because when that ambassador is there, it is as if the United States is there. When the ambassador speaks, it is as if the United States is speaking, and in fact, the embassy—that is the area where they work—is how they kind of comp- where they conduct their business. That embassy. Even though it is in foreign land, it is in a foreign country, it is sovereign United States property. It is there a sovereign land. It belongs to the United States even though it's there. So it is a sovereign place. And so to be an ambassador is to, in every way, represent the interests and the desires, the words and actions of your host country. That's what ambassadors are doing right now around the world. That's what they were doing back then. And so the metaphor is powerful because he says you and me those who've been saved by christ and live in him by faith we are his ambassadors which means that we are to meant to represent christ to the people of this world that we live apart from heaven and we live in this world in this now foreign land that this is now no longer our home that now our home is with christ in heaven and we live in this place as representatives of him and that when we speak since christ is with us and in us Since we are his ambassadors, that when we speak, it is as if he speaks. And that whenever we are present, that he is present too. And in fact, the very land that we stand on, we are part of his growing kingdom, part of his sovereign country that is growing and existing as it expands here in this world and as we wait for him to return. This ambassador language is powerful and rich. And in fact, it's kind of a fearful metaphor, I think, because it is quite a thing to speak on someone's behalf. Uh, occasionally, someone will ask me what Melinda thinks about something. And in that moment, I feel the weight of having to represent her thoughts and her words to someone else on her behalf. Because I know that if I go back and tell her, this person asked what you think, her question is going to be, well, what did you say? And in that moment, I'm going to have to perfectly represent her thoughts and actions and desires to them for her to be comfortable with how I represent her. Because none of us want to be misrepresented. None of us want to feel like we are placed in a light that's different of how we think. And so to speak on anyone's behalf, it feels challenging and weighty, little less God. Can you imagine a heavier requirement than speaking on behalf of God? Given who we are and all of our limitations and all of our struggles, for us, in our weakness... To represent a perfect God in action and in word and in space to represent that to people, it is fearful and it is a challenging. And it's not merely saying the right thing. It's saying it the right way so that people understand exactly how God feels. It's not simply speaking to people either. In fact, what the passage says is that God has entrusted us not just with words, but with a ministry. He says that we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. This is verse 18. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. So, he has not only given us his presence and given us his words, he has also given us his job. That what he was doing here on this earth, he has now entrusted that to us. He has given us a ministry. Now, because we do this with God, that means the presence and the power of God goes with us. But we don't simply exert power in this world. We exert a ministry in this world. And friends, ministry is service. It really is. That is what we are. We are servants of you, helping you to come to know God. Uh, It is not power. In fact, every time the disciples try to understand exactly what Jesus wants for them, their question is, do we get power now? Should we call down lightning from heaven? Who is going to be the greatest? And his metaphor is always to them like, no, no, no. In my kingdom, the first becomes last. In my kingdom... We wash one another's feet. And so for us to take on the ministry of Jesus means that we need to begin to be servants. That is what it's going to mean to do his work, that we're going to become servants of him. You are not given a blank checkbook to go and try to make things happen in this world. What God has given you is a milk carton with one of his beloved children's face on the back. And his words are, go and find them. Go and bring them to me and go and help them be reconciled. To God, Phil Vischer, the Veggie guy, had an incredible tweet today where he said, "If table flipping Jesus is your favorite Jesus, then you've missed the plot." I think sometimes we kind of want to grab onto the power story. We want to be powerful in the Spirit, and we are. But the power is one of love, and it's one of service. And so we're called to a ministry that looks exactly like Jesus, and it's a ministry of reconciliation. And that ministry is. That Jesus came to give his life on behalf of others. That he came to stand in their place, to come and take their punishment, and to die and then raise from the dead so that he could give them his righteousness and his holiness. That is his ministry. That is what he is doing. He died for them so that they could live. And so to take on his ministry, that means part of us is likely going to die a little bit each day too as we do his work. Dying to ourselves, dying to our pride, dying to our desires. Also that we can help people be reconciled to God, because that is what it means to be His ambassadors. We're going to do His work His way. And God's promise is that He says that He is going to make His appeal through us. That's verse 20. We're there for Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. So that we are not simply doing this on our own, although we might feel the pressure of representing God well. He says no. He's going to actually reach through us and it will be his power that works through us that we are his ambassadors, but he is the one who's going to work. We are going to be the vessel of that work, but he is going to be the power in that work. And so to be his ambassador is weighty. I mean, in fact, to be an ambassador, you have to know intimately the thoughts of your country, the desires of your country, the desires of the political climate. You have to understand it perfectly. And for us to be ambassadors of Christ, we too need to know him so well. The challenge, I think, for us is that it's not easy to be ambassadors. Uh, think really quick about how these people in the city of Corinth would have heard this passage. The city of Corinth was the biggest party city in the ancient world. In fact, it would be used as a verb frequently in ancient writing. So you would say, I'm going to go out in Corinth tonight. If you're going to really go and, and just paint the town red, uh, you're going to go Corinth because that's what was happening in the city it was an incredibly wealthy city it was an incredibly sexual city Uh, we have stories of uh, just rampant prostitution and gender fluidity and we have stories of marriages that are um, you know of women being married and divorced 10 different times we have stories even in the in the story of first in the book of first Corinthians where you have a son having an affair with his father's new wife I mean just and that's like okay that was just happening And so when he says, you need to be my ambassadors to this world, he's asking them to go and be involved uh, with a very messy people who uh, are very different than them. In fact, I think of if you were a Jew living in Corinth, you would have thought these people would have deserved God's judgment. And to approach them in any way, you would have worried about it making you dirty in some sort of way. So. If you're a Jew, you would have heard that and said, no, 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 I'm not interested in being an ambassador to these people. In fact, I'm waiting for God to send down a lightning bolt and smote them. If you were a Gentile Corinthian that had grown up there, then chances are that had been your life for a while, that you had Corinth quite a bit. And so to go back to them now as an ambassador would have felt like going back to the places that were once a struggle. It would have been going back to a way of life that you'd left. It, it might have even been tempting again. And so this call for them to go be ambassadors to these people... You could imagine that it might not have been an exciting sort of invitation. That's not exactly what they wanted. Their preference, I'm sure, would have been to stay together, to build each other up in Jesus, to enjoy the fellowship of the saints, to be with like-minded people who saw the world through the same eyes as them, and to enjoy that fellowship and to be a family there. Man, don't we feel that the same way today? I'm sure they would have felt it. And God says, I want that for you too, but I need ambassadors. And so when we consider our world today and about what is happening in it, I think we can identify with the Corinthians or the Jewish, uh, the Christian Corinthians. I think sometimes we look at the world and we think, I have no desire to engage with this. They, too, have a different morality. Um, They are blind to their own sin. They defend themselves at any turn. They are unwilling to accept that they've ever done anything wrong. Uh, It is an abusive culture. I don't understand who these people are. They are far from God. And that's even before we get into the politics that kind of do that naturally anyway. I think we could very much identify that we would like to kind of huddle inside. We would like to kind of be ourselves. But then the only thing we'd be doing is be giving living water to those who are perfectly hydrated and giving the bread of life to those who are full. While there are those who are parched and starving on the outside. This world still needs ambassadors too even if we are hesitant sometimes to want to go and do it, even if we don't necessarily want to still reach out. I think it's incredibly common for us to look at the world and find frustration and disgust and, and want to disconnect. But what I really love is that that is not God's heart at all. The heart of God is always, 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 always for sinners and towards sinners it is always for them it never moves away from them in fact jesus when he sees our sin when he sees those old habits when he sees us back in the places that we can't escape when he finds ourselves uh, in the places that even we are ashamed of, when he sees us wrestling with the sins and mistakes that even we hide, even though we're still stuck in sin and we're blinded to it sometimes, when it becomes so offensive that it even bothers us when we, we miss our own standards so badly that we just simply wonder how anybody could ever love us or tolerate it. It, us in that moment. God's heart is uniquely for us in a way that uh, simply can't be stopped. It's in that moment where he doesn't simply move towards us. He sprints towards us because the very thing that Jesus lives and loves to do is to intercede for people. It's because he knows that this is not really who they are. This is them in sickness. This is them in brokenness. This is them in pain. But he created them and he knows them and loves them and he knows that more than that, that he's the cure for that. I mean, he says this here, that the old is gone and the new has come. And he knows that for any person who is in sin, that there is an exit, that there is forgiveness, that there is newness that is found in him. And so when we start to get nervous about sinners, when we start to become disgusted about them, when we begin to be frustrated about them, and when we begin to check out and pull insular, we need to know that in that moment, Jesus moves outward stronger than ever. Goodwin says this, and this is out of Dane Ortlund's book, Gentle and Lowly, which is beautiful. He says this, that Jesus' joy, comfort, happiness, and glory are increased and they're enlarged when he gets to give grace, mercy, pardoning, and relieving and comforting to the people of this earth. You know what makes Jesus happy? It is running towards sinners and bringing them out of their sin. And he does that um, because he knows that if any of us are left in our sin, that a fearful judgment awaits us. And so he never gives up. He never stops caring. He never starts running. He never starts pulling, leaning, calling, stirring. He never stops doing that in the heart of sinners. And what he needs is that in his work, he is looking for people to come as ambassadors and to come and be the flesh and blood that brings them and is the bridge back to him. So how can we do this really well? How can we be better ambassadors? I think he nails it in the very first uh, verse that we covered tonight, verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That's the first thing we're going to do. If we're going to be an ambassador, I'm not going to ever consider anybody from a worldly point of view. Now, if, if I'm not going to think about you from a worldly point of view, that means I'm not going to um, look at you in a way that dismisses you because of your politics or your preferences. I'm not going to be in a place where I'm going to pass judgment and just kind of categorize you, put you in a box so I no longer have to listen to you. I'm not going to uh, be in a place where uh, I am somehow looking down upon you because I know the only reason (laughs) why I know anything is because of Jesus' blood for me. That is his work. I'm not going to clutch my pearls when... I hear profanity. I'm not going to be shocked at the latest thing that happens in this world. I understand what is happening. I understand that these are people who are lost and hurting, who are making the sorts of decisions that lost and hurting people do. So when I was a high school pastor, uh, I took, uh, like Hunter and like so many of you, I took a group of kids to the Delta. And one of the years we were on the Delta, I had a student. I had a staff member named Tiffany who um, was probably... 22 at the time 23 she was on the banana boat with all of her girls so it's just like a big tube where you kind of all lie all kind of ride it like a saddle and what happened is that they went over a wake, and the girl's head in front of her came back and hit her between the eyes bam cut her and gave her a concussion and she was out absolutely knocked out and we knew we had to get her to the hospital and we knew it wasn't a crisis but we had to get her to the hospital so into the boat. Yeah, There we go. It was um, myself. I think it was Bill McPhee and, and John Wood and I. And we got her on the boat and we're driving her to the hospital and she is so out of it. In fact, she doesn't even know that she's in a boat. She thinks that she's back at home while we're driving and she keeps trying to stand up and say, I have to go to my room. I have to go to my room. And she's trying to walk off a boat that's going like 40. And we're grabbing her and t- sitting her down going, you can't walk off the boat. We're going too fast. We're going to the hospital, which she can't understand. Then she wants to sleep. And at the time it was like, no, don't let a person with a concussion sleep. So no, don't let her sleep. And then she said she was hot and she, she she wanted to start taking off her clothes. We're like, please keep those on. It was a disaster. Now in that moment, I think there's a beautiful analogy of what it is to be caught in sin and be blinded by it. The way that we see the world is not the way that it is. The way that we see ourselves is not accurate. The way that we diagnose and understand everything else It isn't the way that it is, and we can't see it because we're lost in sin. For those who have come to know him, it's like God has lifted the veil, Scripture says, from our eyes. We now understand ourselves, we understand who God is. But if you don't know Jesus, if you're still stuck in your sin, then you are like that person with the disease. Like a concussion where the illness is just manifesting itself. And so for us as Christians, to get mad at that or angry at that is fairly pointless Because there's not a thing that they can do about it themselves. They're simply acting like an injured person would. And so our task is to not see them from a worldly point of view. To not look down and disengage. Instead, it is to see that this is a person who desperately needs help. That this is a person who is not at their best right now, that this is not the person that God has created them to be and that there is a solution, there's a cure, there's a medicine to be found in the blood of Jesus that is available to them that God wants to reach through us and administer to them and he is asking for us to be his ambassadors and he wants us to engage. But if we don't have hearts that move towards them, then the medicine will never be applied, it will never be administered and they will never be healed. For us to be ambassadors, we have to have hearts of compassion for broken, hurting people, who are doing what broken, hurting people do. If we simply leave them alone, if we simply pull inside the church, it would be as dangerous to them as if we simply let Tiffany off on her own in that moment. She'd be a danger to herself and a danger to others, and that's frequently what happens when we're lost in, our, in sin. We get broken by our sin, and we break others by our sins because we are all sick acting out, and yet there is a cure So to be an ambassador, part of it means that we just have to see people differently. I think it's important to remember that we are never going to lead people that we see as our enemies to Christ. They're not going to come to know Christ that way. We're never going to lead strangers to Christ, people that we're not in relationship with. We're never going to shame people into following Christ. We are never going to be able to really really scare people into following Christ. Instead, what we need to do is love people into knowing who Christ is. Love with word and truth, but unmistakably love them. And too often, I think we default to the others, partly because we saw it for us. Uh, we've experienced that. and We feel overwhelmed in the moment. But to be an ambassador of Christ means we have to act like Christ and live like Christ. We have to represent him well. And that's what he's asking us to do. Friends, we're about to start the, killer, the most killer church ever. I am so excited about what God is doing in Coastline. I don't know how big it's going to be, and I don't care about that really, but I believe it's going to be profoundly deep. And I believe it has a chance to really connect with so many people who um, went to church and no longer do, aren't interested in something too big and too formal, something that doesn't look like, something that scarred them or wounded them, something that doesn't look like what they're seeing, on the TV. They're wanting that desperately. And I think what I see God doing in us and through us is exactly the thing that they're looking for. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, alive in us, working through us, transforming and changing us so that we are like him so that we can do his work. Let's do it really well. I'm excited that over the course of the next six weeks, we're going to be doing the series called Ambassadors. where We're focused on how we do this really well. You're going to be hearing from uh, Ben, Aaron again, and Janine, and Hunter, and the whole team. Uh, Excited to be opening up the word with you. But thanks for logging in tonight. We Love you. Isn't this cool? Coolest thing ever. Thanks so much. Have a good night, everybody. We'll see you soon.